This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and joining me as always, my co-host... Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, Pete. Uh, still at home at almost uh, now. I can't remember how long I've been at home for. It's, it feels like being in jail in a way. You sort of forget and lose track of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think um, people who don't have as many children as I do, um, <laughs> which is most people, um, are like, yeah, this is good, you know, we're at home all the time. It's like, no, it's school holidays, it's horrific. But uh, I think it's just as bad for them as it is for us at the moment. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm going okay, the, the two boys are at home, um, my daughter's still going to school, but uh, this is last week of school, so next week will be the interesting uh, situation. Yeah, I was talking to somebody else about it today, and um, you know, I think I've said to you a few times in Victoria, it's it's sort of touch and go. They're not really saying what's going to happen, but they're all telling us that you know the online study model is very much being uh, constructed as we speak. So I'm not hopeful that. Uh, you know, come April the 16th or, or whatever the expected return to school date is, I'm not overly hopeful that it's it's going to be um, back to business as usual for schools in Victoria. Yeah, well, I had an interesting conversation with a with a, a restaurateur here in, in Darwin to, today. His name's Jason Hanna. Uh, yep. And he said, oh, Leon, I've been listening to your podcast. Uh, the last one I listened to was... Um, uh, was the doctor and I said Jason you're, you're a few podcasts behind mate <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said to me oh you know you ought to get someone uh, on your podcast to talk about what a post-COVID-19 world looks like and I said mm. we've done that we had yeah. the economy we had uh, Dr. Dr. Ram right. last week <laughs> talking yeah. about exactly that um, yeah. and he said to me he said you know I'm thinking, Leon, that after all of this washes over, people are going to look at their big, huge office buildings and ask themselves, do we really need these? Um, yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, mate. Well, w- without speaking out of school, um, you and I have had the, the conversation uh, around that and what a law firm could look like um, you know, with with a completely different setup to, to the one that you currently enjoy, and I think our initial conversation was was met with quite a bit of reluctance. Um, but as you rightly said to someone we spoke to in the last few days, as of whenever it was last week, you've you've got 60 staff all based and working from home, which you never would have dreamt of in in your life. So it, it never, absolutely never, never. can happen. Yeah, never would have dreamt of two weeks ago. But having said mm. that, look, I don't think office buildings are going away. I just think they're going to be reutilised in, in a different way and perhaps a more efficient way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll have to watch this space and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, plus I also think, um, you know, with someone like Jason, uh, I was actually um, looking at a couple of things today, which is some products for the sort of restaurant industry and gyms and cafes and, you know, those who are really affected at the moment. Um, you know, like like we saw with, with Darren Lynch, um, you know, there's times when 
a business that thought its only revenue was going to be from people sitting at tables or or coming into its physical address uh, you know was its only way of making money but people soon learn that in times like this you, you have to change quickly and and be prepared to try new things yes yes so who are our special guests today well, I mean, as easy as it would be for me to introduce them, Leon, as you work with both of them, I think I'll give you that honour. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, look, it is my very great, great pleasure to introduce to everyone on this podcast uh, two employees of Ward Keller, both of them migration agents, and both of them extremely busy right now with uh, everything that's going on with COVID-19. Um I would like, uh, and the reason why we've invited them on the podcast is because um, in addition to family law, employment law, and commercial leasing questions, migration is right up there in terms of inquiries about where people stand with what's happening. So we thought mm. one of the best things that we could do was to bring you, our migration agents, to run through a bit of a Q&A like we did with family law so that you could get your questions answered uh, uh, on this podcast, and if not, uh, you know, certainly give you the opportunity to contact us. So, uh, firstly, I'd like to introduce to you someone who has been on this podcast before and gave us her really scintillating uh, uh, life story, which I have to say I had no idea about until we, you know, sat down and talked to her. But um, welcome to the podcast, Anka. Hi, Leon, and hi, Pete. Good to talk to you guys again. Welcome where where are you right now? Where are you? I'm in beautiful Alice Springs, and we're having a thunderstorm happening here. So if you hear the thunder rumbling in the background, uh, that's what it is. So we, we are having a bit of rain here in the centre, which is wonderful. Yes, fantastic. Mm. It's been pretty dry for about three or four years, hasn't it? Exactly. So we're getting a bit of greenery here, finally. Right. And, and what have you been working on uh, in the last probably week and a half or so, Anga? Uh, look, I have fielded a lot of inquiries with people uh, worried about their visa status, their visa applications, uh, about people that are stranded overseas, uh, people that uh, are stranded with their visas here, uh, and just trying to stay on top with the daily changes that the government is implementing with the lockdown of the borders, basically. Right, right. Okay. Um also joining us on the podcast is a quite a well, it's a brand new employee. Uh, I'd like to welcome her both to the podcast and also to Ward Keller. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Leon. Thank you for having me. Um, give us a bit of background. Um, okay, so my name is Rachel Adolf. I've been working in migration for about eight years now. Um, during that time, I've done quite a lot of different things. So I've worked in my Australian migration, both in Australia and outside of Australia. I've worked um, in a decision-making role for the federal government at the AAT. And I've also worked in commercial um, firms as well. Great. And that's why we love having you here. <laughs> Can I please ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, <clears throat> I must admit, we pride ourselves on the fact that we do absolutely no research whatsoever for our podcasts. Um, but with these particular ones, we do a little bit because it's important that we get smart questions. 
and and do we get the questions that are relevant to uh, the potential listeners of, of you know, a podcast such as this? I have seen the AAT referred to quite a bit in the notes. What exactly is that? So the AAT is the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. So it's the federal tribunal that deals with migration matters. So if applicants have had their visas refused at the departmental level, they can make an appeal uh, to have that decision reviewed, and that's reviewed at the AAT. Okay, so is that kind of like the the uh, the end of the road, so to speak? That's what we're. I'm not sure I don't want to use the word disputes, but you know what I mean, like. There's a well, process that goes to end up there? Well, the tribunal have the ability to make a review of the decision based on the merits of the application. Um, okay. If it fails there, the only other real options for applicants is to take it to the federal court. But in that circumstance, they're not looking at the merits of the application. They're looking at whether there's been an error made of law. So more of a judicial okay. a judicial um, yeah, okay. review done at the court. So in, in a sense, it is, it is a chance them to, uh, the, I guess, one of the last chances they get to have their application reviewed on the merit. Mm. And ladies, Leon um, just said that obviously there's, and you referred to it as well, Anka, that there's things just, it's very fluid at the moment in terms of um, the rules and regulations. Has this thrown what you do into disarray or is it just a process and you just got to follow the process? Look, Peter, it, to a certain degree, it has thrown things in a disarray because with certain uh, cases that we are working on, uh, we had to basically rethink the whole process, uh, especially with employer sponsorship, where suddenly the employer uh, is no longer open uh, because the government is told, like a restaurant, they can no longer be operating at the moment. So we have to sort of revisit things. Uh, and then, of course, we've been getting new clients suddenly in who are calling us because their visa is going to run out in three weeks and they, they can't do what they were planning to do or they can't leave the country. And we'll talk about that later on a bit more in detail. So uh, mm. it's been a matter of reprioritizing all matters, basically. Mm. Okay, well, on that note, uh, Anka, I'll hit. I'll start off with the first question, and I think it probably goes touches on uh, some of the comments that you just made. What happens if you are onshore and you can't leave Australia because your home country has also put a travel ban in place, and your temporary visa will expire soon? Well, Leon, in this case, this person should apply for a new visa before the current visa expires. So this is very important. You must not become unlawful, as we call it. And um, you, once you apply for a visa before your current visa expires, you then become eligible for a bridging visa. And as the name it says, it will bridge the time until you can depart, basically, or until you get a new visa. Okay. Sometimes people are unsure with a visa that has a condition that says no further stay. That means they can't apply for another visa until they leave Australia. In this case, the uh, department can uh, actually waive that condition. And we suggest to people if they have got uh, two months or less to go on their current visa, that they 
request to have that condition waived. And my understanding is that the department is very good and very quick in helping people to get that condition waived so that they can again apply for a visa um, to stay in Australia. And look, Rachel and I in, here at the firm can help with this. Um, there are also lots of other scenarios for people with temporary visas who will be stranded here due to, due to these travel restrictions. And what we are doing at the moment, uh, and this is what I also uh, meant with my answer to Peter earlier, is we will try and have a quick chat with them, like a 15-minute consultation, have a chat to see what the exact situation is, try and give them some guidance, or if it's a bit more complicated, we will take on their case and, and help them to stay lawful. Right, right. Can I just ask, uh, do you know any countries in that situation, Anka, that have actually put a travel ban in place so that their own residents can't return? Well, India is one of them. Right. Mm. They've just have done that. Yes. Okay. Uh, a I lot of the European countries... Sorry, Sorry I, was Rachel, saying, yeah. I, think, I think it's a matter, too, of sometimes they logistically can't get a flight. Oh, yes, of course. Mm. Of course. Yeah. For instance, most flights to and from Europe are gone. There's hardly any airlines that will fly between Australia and uh, Europe at the moment. Right. Mm. Rachel, are the departments still processing visa applications at this time? Well, we are actually still seeing quite a lot of activity in processing of visas, surprisingly. But what I will say is there's two probably main um, categories that I'd like to talk about. So for offshore applicants, even if the visa can be granted, it's highly likely that person will not be able to enter into Australia anyway because of the travel bans that we've been speaking about. Um, so in this scenario, it's likely that department will probably either cease processing certain visa types or they'll delay granting them because the applicants won't be able to enter anyway. Um, however, for onshore applicants, this is different. As Anka just mentioned before, they're processing applicants um, quite quickly, especially if their visas are due to expire within the next two months. The department will be doing everything they can to ensure that people can remain in Australia lawfully. Um, so I guess where, where we are seeing a lot of activity is with that onshore applications but also other temporary and permanent visa types. The Migration Office of the NT is still accepting applications for NT-nominated skilled, skilled visas and business visas. Um, and we're also um, seeing temporary and permanent applicants such as family visas, partners, children and parents. Where those applicants are already onshore in Australia, they're actually still being processed. I think it's probably important to say, though, with this scenario and the COVID-19 crisis, it'd be wise that all applicants do anticipate some kind of slowing down of the processing, especially where the case officers can see that they hold a valid visa and they can safely remain in Australia. They will be prioritising towards people whose visas are expiring. Hmm. Anka... All medical biometric and English language tests are either postponed indefinitely or only very few places and dates are available. What happens to my visa application because of this? 
Well, Leon, as we said earlier, the government is very much aware that these are exceptional times and that these closures are factors beyond an applicant's control. So if you are unsure, they will postpone processing your application, as Rachel said, to facilitate you to attend those medicals eventually or uh, attend those biometrics. Uh, biometrics is uh, what uh, we call where the department collects like a facial image and fingerprints to establish your identity. And if you, for instance, have an applicant in the Northern Territory, there is no biometrics collection here in the Northern Territory, so they would have to travel to Brisbane. So they couldn't do that at the moment because we even have within the country uh, restrictions. So the department will then say, okay, all right, we'll wait until these restrictions are lifted and we will not refuse your visa in the meantime. We'll keep you on that bridging visa and lawfully. Um, what we must remember, though, is this only applies to people who have already lodged their visa or where these kind of tests can be done after you have lodged the visa. Okay, so uh, if it is time of application criterion that you have to have uh, set a recent English test, for instance, then the department cannot waive this. Okay, this is a, a matter of law, uh, so they can't just simply change the laws for each and single, every single visa class. So they can't change that. So these people will have to find a different pathway. They can't necessarily go on with the visa application that they had originally planned. Rachel, regarding temporary visa holders, um, as I understand it, they can't return to Australia at this time. Uh, are there exemptions to that? Yeah, Anka, did you just recently deal with that with New Zealand? Uh, yes, I did, actually, Rachel. Um, so if you're a New Zealand citizen uh, who usually lives and works in Australia, you can come back without any problem, okay? Uh, the other thing, um, and I think you had uh, something similar as well, Rachel, is that if a person is a um, temporary visa holder and they're sitting offshore but they are married or are the child of an Australian citizen, People like this will also be able to come in, uh, but they have to ask for permission first from the government. Mm -hmm. They have to provide some evidence why, um, what is their connection to that Australian citizen. And um, then once the department has processed the application, then they can travel, provided of course can fight a flight. Um, and then last week the government actually proposed um, exemptions for temporary visa holders who are working in the central services. So people in the health sector, certain engineers and so on, they can also come uh, after they have been given a, a permission to travel. Rachel, uh, what will happen to appeals at the AAT? Well, the AAT are actually still operating, um, but due to safety of, of the staff at the tribunal and also of um, applicants. They've made two significant changes to protect the staff and applicants. The first change is that they've moved all their hearings to be conducted over the phone. Um, hearings continue, continue to be scheduled um, and they're being conducted really successfully over the phone. Um, if a phone hearing is scheduled and applicants prefer a face-to-face -face hearing, um, 
that is still permitted. So the hearing can be rescheduled, but the, the AAT have said they don't know when the rescheduled date will be. Um, so if applicants want to have their matter heard um, as soon as possible, they'll probably just have to keep that in mind. If they want to change to a face-to-face -face interview, it will be, we won't really know what date in the future that will be rescheduled. Um, the second thing that they're doing, interestingly, they've brought out what's called a fast track application process. So um, the tribunal member, they're allowing tribunal members to make decision on the papers without a hearing. Um, so basically this means that if there's enough evidence to support an appeal, um, we can request the tribunal members to make an application, that, to make a decision that is fast tracked. Um, so the important thing to remember here is that if applicants would like to have their AAT evidence assessed to determine if they have enough there to be fast-tracked, then Anka and I can assist with that. Okay. And Rachel, prior to the COVID-19 crisis, if people had plans to make an application for another visa, should they still make that application? Yeah, well, I mean, all visa all visa subclasses are still open for application. And as we mentioned earlier, um, invitations are still being issued by state and territory governments for businesses, uh, for business and skilled visas. Um, and that includes the, the government of the Northern Territory. Um, and often preparing for skilled visas can often take considerable amount of time and planning. Um, so it's likely that the time that they're ready for grant, things like travel bans may even be lifted. So I think that making the steps to continue your plan for your future visas is still important. Um, I think it's a great time to lodge your partner visa or your parent visa if those applicants are onshore. Um, I also think New Zealand's, New Zealand citizens, if they've been wanting to apply for that New Zealand, that particular New Zealand stream skilled visa um, and get their Australian permanent residency rather than continuing to hold temporary residence, I think it's really good to apply for that application at the moment. Um, also, there could be a lot of permanent residents who have been sitting around holding permanent resident visas for years and have been meaning to make that Australian citizenship application. Um, now is a really good time to kind of, you know, get all that information together and put an Australian citizenship application in. So particularly, I think, if you're onshore and you need to discuss visa options that you've been thinking about, um, Ward Keller, um, Anka and myself at Will Keller can assist in those things as well. That's interesting because uh, I've got friends who I went to uni with uh, that came over as overseas students and uh, and and then came back to Australia uh, to to live as permanent residents. And I think some of them are still on holding their uh, foreign passports. And I keep asking them, why on earth would they do that? <laughs> so yeah. this, is a, this is probably good advice. <laughs> yeah. It's a great uh, time to do citizenship because, I mean, you really have to, a lot of people in, in their busy lives when they're not working from home, um, you know, it takes time to kind of get all the documentation that you need together. Um, yes, but people yeah. might be finding themselves in that position at the moment. So we encourage them to reach out to us if they need a hand about what they need to, to you know, to start preparing what kind of evidence they need to support their application. Right, right. Okay. It's funny that Rachel was mentioning this because I had three former clients approaching me this week to do the citizenship applications, and I think it's definitely 
because of what Rachel was saying. They're sitting at home yeah. thinking, oh, well, I've got the time to do this now. And yeah. uh, I also have a, a partner visa uh, that we had originally planned to lodge on offshore, but uh, the partner is stranded in Australia, so we are just doing an onshore visa. And mm. in hindsight, this is even better because they're not going to be separated now for several months. So, okay. yes. Yeah. So sometimes mm. these travel bans can work in people's favours. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's a really good uh, good approach, I think. Um, uh, Anka, people often ask if they can extend their visa. Is that possible, especially now in these circumstances? Leon, we get this question a lot. Uh, the Australian visa system does not allow you to extend the validity of a visa. Um, as I mentioned earlier, right in the beginning, if you hold a visa and it expires, you become unlawful. And the only way to get a new visa is to apply for a new visa. This, regard, this applies regardless whether you're onshore or offshore. Once your visa expires, it's gone. You can't do anything to extend it. And there's lots of rumors around that the immigration department is planning to extend visas uh, until um, October. These are unsubstantiated rumours at this stage. Um, it's actually, again, as I said earlier, the, the extension of a visa or the validity of a visa is subject to a matter of law. And for the government to extend a visa is something that is not provided in the Migration Act. So I don't think this is ever going to happen. Um, so, um, therefore... People just need to be aware that they have to apply for a new visa. Uh, otherwise, they're going to risk getting a refusal uh, or basically just getting a return application saying invalid. So, um, yeah, it's just not uh, something that is available in Australia. Mm. Rachel, what do I do if I'm on an employer-sponsored visa and my employer cannot continue with my employment now? This is probably one of the biggest concerns that the migration industry have at the moment. Mm. Um, so the, gov the government have said and have been made aware of this group of people that we consider at the moment to be exceptionally vulnerable um, in Australia. So Anka and I are both members of the Migration Institute of Australia and the Migration Institute of Australia have been lobbying the government and informing them of a number of scenarios that are causing the migration industry extreme concern. I'd probably just like to give you a couple of examples just because I think there's there's a number of different scenarios, but one of them could be where you're a sponsored worker and you're stood down or terminated because the restaurant or whatever business you're in has shut down or they've had a business downturn, they can't afford to pay you. Um, and you're subject to a condition 8107 on your visa, which means that you cannot work for anyone else. Um, so there's a, a massive financial hardship there. Um, and sponsored workers are also not in a category of people, uh, our temporary sponsored workers are not in a, temp a category of people that can actually access any of the governmental support at the moment. Mm. Uh, this may change because there's, ongoing changes that the government announced, but at, at the moment, um, there's nothing available for them. So this can affect a number of things, like they possibly cannot afford their health insurance. They're supposed to have uh, private health insurance coverage, 
So if they can't afford that, then they're breaching their visas. Um, some people may want to return home, but they're stuck here. Uh, they could become unlawful if their visa expires. So there's a, a range of, I guess, examples that are occurring that we're really quite worried about. Um, I guess some advice that we can give at the moment is that at the moment, the way the migration legislation stands, there's no been no relaxation at the moment regarding the conditions or the social services eligibility of these group of people. Um, so we're encouraging, I guess, people to negotiate with their employer, if possible, to take leave without pay as an option rather than being stood down. Um, visa holders may be permitted to take up to 12 months leave without pay because this provision is already available for people who take, for example, maternity leave. Um, and I think the current scenario will be interpreted by the department as an exceptional circumstance where they can take up to 12 months leave without pay. Um, but like I said before, unfortunately, these people aren't able to work anywhere else but with that sponsored employer. Um, another scenario we've been asked about a lot is uh, if people can go part-time. So if you're on a temporary work visa such as the 457 or 482, you can go part-time, but your salary is not allowed to go below the threshold that's allowed for that visa type, which at the moment is 53900 so a lot of people working in the industry of, say, the hospitality industry may not be able to go part-time without dipping below that threshold. So that is, um, would be a concern as well. I wonder whether the government might be looking at dropping that threshold to allow this sort of stuff to happen, Rachel. Uh I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, Ankur, is it in a legislative instrument or is it in... Yes, it is. So this is something they could do if they wanted yeah. to do that. It's mm. not actually in the regulations. It's I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in legislative instruments. So, I mean, possibly that's something that they, they could do so these people can access a little bit of income if they're going to go part-time. Right. Um, uh, yeah, it's is, a very difficult it, scenario, so we're, we're hoping that the government are going to provide some answers for these people as soon as possible. Yes, and is the Migration Institute of Australia uh, lobbying the government on these issues? Yeah, yeah, they are really actively. They're, okay. they're um, having meetings with the, the department. Um, they're taking scenarios and concerns that they have. To, to the to the government, but I, I just think at the moment it's just been such a you know a crazy hectic um, situation. They haven't provided any kind of real uh, solutions at this stage for these individuals. So I guess a supplementary question to that, Rachel, would be uh, would be this one: uh, temporary visa holders are not entitled to social security payments. We've That's already right. said that, right? Um, but are their employers entitled to any payments to assist? So I would be encouraging employers to look at all the different... <laughs> I think I, I get so confused, but there's been a number of stimulus packages that the government have released um, for uh, business owners. Um, if, they're in, if their turnover has, has fallen... Um, and, and try to um, look at ways that they could get 
uh, help from the government in this way. Unfortunately, the most recent um, stimulus, the job keeper payment that was recently announced by the federal government is only payable to the employer for the employment of, of Australian citizens, permanent residents, and also for New Zealand citizens who hold that New Zealand triple um, four visa. So um, it still doesn't really assist our temporary visa holders um, for that particular JobKeeper payment. And Anka, in, in relation to the JobKeeper payment, I mean, you've got some sponsoring employers, employers who've invested a lot of money and rely heavily on their sponsored workforce. Uh, these employees often have been here for years and pay taxes. So why can't these employers access the JobKeeper funds for their local employees? Hey, that is such a valid point. Um, look, I've watched the press conference when the Prime Minister announced the JobKeeper package. And at the end of the press conference, the PM was actually asked this very same question. Okay, And at that stage, he categorically denied that there will be support for these workers. So I believe that this is definitely a politically loaded question. Okay. Um, I know the department, and as Rachel was saying earlier, is definitely looking at ways to facilitate this, but um, the government must be seen to support, first and foremost, its Australian citizens and permanent residents. Um, I've been thinking and discussing this with other people, and again, the Northern Territory is a bit different from other states. In the other states where you've got a denser population and uh, a higher workforce. Uh, there will be plenty of Australians that are potentially skilled enough to take on these jobs um, that uh, are suddenly available and did, that normally maybe these temporary visa holders would be doing. So they would be encouraged to apply for these jobs. This would also apply to the harvesting that is going to happen. And we're going into autumn mm -hmm. now. So uh, the wine harvest will be needed. Uh, this, uh, I know they started um, harvesting uh, watermelons here at, in the Northern Territory, in, in tea tree, for instance. So I think in especially the southern and eastern states, they will be encouraging Australians who've lost their jobs, uh, all these people that have stood in these queues at Centrelink all this week to take on these jobs in the harvest. Um, in the Northern Territory, because we do have such a um, small population base, we do not have that luxury. So um, we do not have a pool of skilled Australian to fall back on. Um, and I've spoken with business owners and a lot of them uh, left the Northern Territory, skilled workers left the Northern Territory as soon as they realised that they were going to lose the job or was, were going to be put on leave without pay to go down south to be with their families. So mm -hmm. um, it, it is a very complex issue and I'm not sure we're going to have a quick solution to that, unfortunately. Mm. i tell you, there's a, there's a group of people that I feel sorry for and, and just in part of that answer, Anka, um, you know, we we use the word unprecedented constantly, so without being accused of overusing it, I, I think, um, and you might be right, I mean, that, that particular um, scenario might be politically loaded, but I think that 
they're, they're just doing things on the run. And that's not a criticism because, you know, they're literally hop, skipping and jumping wherever they can. And, you know, as we saw on Sunday night, they came out with some great packages to help people with jobs. And then, you know, in, in the blink of an eye, it looked like the, the childcare industry was going to fall over. So they had to go and do a whole stack of emergency meetings for that. Um, but the, the, there was a question asked of somebody uh, a few days ago, and um, I know that um, uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister came out and said, look, Australia, please support our New Zealanders who've lived in your country for, in some case, cases, decades. Essentially, they're Australians, but they may not have switched over their passports for whatever reason. And uh, and yet they're they're not entitled to to any help because they're not Australian citizens, which I just think is really harsh. Mm. And that's yes, but it's a response included in this in this most recent JobKeeper package. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yes, I agree with you. A lot of the uh, decisions are being made on the run, dictated by what's happening outside forces. Uh, so, may, look, I believe the department's definitely looking at a solution for, for those employers and for those temporary visa holders, but the issue is uh, that certain things can't be easily fixed unless they have actually parliamentary sitting. So, mm. and at the moment, the government doesn't have the time to actually sit and, and change laws. Mm. They, they have to come up with solutions and, and interim measures, measurements on, on the run, so and I think they're trying their best and their hardest. Mm. Yeah, on that subject, I noticed that uh, New South Wales, um, and I don't know if this is this legislation has come into effect yet, but uh, certainly I got a I, I got an email with uh, some draft legislation called the Legislation Amendment Emergency Measures Act 2020, uh, and just browsing through that. Um, um, document, they appear to be uh, trying to affect a whole lot of other laws in New South Wales, whether it's to do with uh, the criminal justice system, uh, whether it's to do with mental health, whether it's to do with um, uh, uh, residential tenancies, whether it's to do with commercial tenancies. And what they appear to be doing in that legislation is allowing effectively the public servants to make rules up as they go under regulations, which is uh, really interesting. Wow. Wow. <laughs> interesting yeah. to see if they can do this on a federal level to the Migration Act. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But look, uh, thank you both very much for um, for this, uh, you know, for putting together this material and, and giving us an opportunity to ask these questions. I mean, I don't practice in this area, but... I can just see from reading through, the, you know, the questions and hearing your answers that there are a lot of people out there that need help in this area. So um, I really appreciate the work that you've put into this. Yeah, you're welcome, Leon. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome, Liam and Pete, as well. Look, uh, just to the listeners, as I said, we are here. We're only a phone call away. We can slot you in uh, via Zoom or Skype or via the phone uh, so that we can ensure that we can uh, keep social distancing, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't provide uh, a service to our clients. Agreed. Thank you, Anka. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast 
with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.